This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Welcome into the San Francisco 49er Access Podcast. My name is Sterling Bennett, and today, the second straight victory Monday as the San Francisco 49ers, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 27-14, an overall trouncing of the Buccaneers, got a little dicey late, but overall, a 13-point victory over the Bucks at Levi Stadium this past Sunday. A rather bittersweet victory. We'll dive into how great Brock Purdy was today, or yesterday, excuse me. But we'll also dive into the news of Talanoa Hufunga suffering a torn ACL. How will this team go forward about replacing him? And how and who potentially could take his spot in the starting lineup? But if we're going to start the show today, if we're going to discuss the Niners' second straight victory, bringing them to 7-3 on the year, After a Seahawks loss, advancing completely ahead of them in the NFC West standings and hopefully tonight can gain a game on the Philadelphia Eagles, barring a loss uh, in Monday night against the Kansas City Chiefs. But Brock Purdy in this game was literally, and I mean this, literally perfect. When we talk about how good Brock Purdy's been this year, I could arguably and honestly say that he, the past two weeks, this may be his best form we have seen so far. Against the Bucks, 21 for 25 through the air, 333 yards, 13.3 yards per attempt, three touchdowns, and a perfect 158 passer rating. Again, when people say how good Brock Purdy's been, now you can literally say he has been perfect at least once uh, this season. It's the first time since 1989 where a Niner quarterback has had a perfect passer rating of 158.3. The past two weeks against the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Brock Purdy is 40 for 51, 629 yards, six touchdowns, no turnovers, 12.3 yards in attempt, and a rating of 157.3. Again, uh, through two games, not perfect, but as perfect as perfect can be when you realize his 157.3 rating is the highest of any NFL quarterback over a two-game start since QB starts were first tracked in 1950. What Brock Purdy has done in his career has been historic. It's been unprecedented, uh, maybe outside the likes of a Kurt Warner or a Tom Brady, And what he's done the past two weeks against the Jaguars, a pretty stout defense, and the Bucs coming in one of the better defenses in the NFL with many players still holding over from that Super Bowl winning team just a few years ago. Uh, He has been, again, basically perfect. 
Um, we're talking top tier elite, top 10, top five quarterback playing in this game against the Bucks. It was uh, a stellar performance. Uh, we talked about coming into the game that the Bucks love to blitz. Todd Bowles being one of the heavier blitzing uh, led defenses in football against the blitz against the Bucks. 13 of 16, 231 yards, two touchdowns, and again, a perfect passer rating of 158.3. So if you're going to blitz against them, we've learned you can't do that. If you want to play man coverage against them, well, when he's targeting Brandon Ayuk for 76-yard touchdown passes, you can't do that either. Um, it's becoming a point to have how do defenses guard against Brock Purdy? I think we have to be honest here on a team that has Nick Bosa, Chase Young, this stellar defense that is stacked from almost every single level, an offense that has Debo and Kittle and McCaffrey, that at least the past two weeks, and if not the majority of the season, Brock Purdy has been this team's best player. In San Francisco, when's the last time you can say that? Um... And when usually your quarterback is your best player with as many stars that this Niners team has, you then begin to have the MVP conversations. You then at least begin to have the elite quarterback conversations. We've already had those here. Um, again, it doesn't mean you forget about his three-game stretch against the Vikings and the Browns and the Bengals where there were a handful of plays you point to and say, that can't happen. That's a reason as to, or part of the reason as to why they lost. But even in those games throughout his struggles, we've seen Brock Purdy play outside of those, I don't know, seven plays. Excellent football. Amazing football where, yes, again, those plays aren't taken away, but seeing the entire picture, those look like blimps on the radar rather than exactly who he is as a quarterback. In fact, who he's been the past two weeks if that's the best Brock Purdy you're going to get, that is a Super Bowl winning or caliber quarterback right there. And I think, well, yes, uh, even if Brock Purdy plays worse against the Seahawks or plays a little worse than this against the Eagles, he's going to have this Niners team in position to win games. Yes, there are still areas to improve upon. Uh, the red zone offense has struggled mightily. I discussed that coming into this game, uh, that San Francisco's offense is going to have to find a way to score against the Bucks, who were coming into this game the best red zone defense. Uh, San Francisco 2 of 4 in the red zone on this game. Uh, Brock Purdy, two touchdowns in the red zone uh, against this Buccaneers defense in this game. So really, uh, there really is no area of concern from Brock Purdy. The arm strength, that was a massive question coming into the year of could the arm hold up? Could the UCL injury affect how far he can throw, how fast he can throw? Knowing coming into his NFL career that there were already questions about his arm strength. Um, we saw Brock Purdy fling that thing uh, downfield about 45 yards to Brandon Ayuk and let him do the rest for a 76-yard touchdown pass. His second game in a row with a, what, 69 against the Jaguars to Kittle, 76 against uh, the Bucks this past Sunday. So back-to-back -back games, nearly two 70-yard touchdown passes. And for, I don't know, 30 minutes, it was the longest touchdown pass of any quarterback to a receiver this season. Uh, Brock Purdy's doing the darn thing, folks. He's doing things that, or every question mark we had is 
you know, being checked off almost every single game uh, to just give you some more uh, or how great he's been via the deep ball on passes 20 plus yards or 20 plus air yards downfield this year. Brock Purdy is first in the NFL in completion percentage uh, and the only quarterback behind him is 5% below him at number two. Uh, he's third in yards at 633. He's second in 21.1 air yards in attempt. He's uh, tied for ninth with four touchdowns and has the lowest off-target rate. What I mean by that is he is essentially, he has the best comp percentage and the lowest off-target rate. Brock Purdy is the most accurate quarterback when it comes to down-the-field throws over 20-plus yards that's incredible for a quarterback that was said didn't have a great arm didn't have a strongest arm Brock Purdy this year is the best and most accurate quarterback on passes 20 plus air yards down the field uh, among qualifying quarterbacks Brock Purdy has the highest completion percentage 70.2 percent the highest average yards per attempt 9.7 yards um, he is tied with Justin Fields, of all people, uh, which, come on, Bears, beat the Lions, help the Niners out, please. How do you lose that game late? I digress. Um, he's tied with Justin Fields at a 6.5% touchdown percentage, has the highest QBR at 77.1, and here's the kicker. San Francisco, whether it was with Jimmy G or hoping it was with Trey Lance, they've been looking for a quarterback that can take this offense to the next level that uh, they can take this offense from an intermediate game to a ground and pound offense intermediate passing game based off timing then also with deep balls down the field from 2017 to 2022 jimmy g was six of 40 six of 40 that's worse than one one completion every six attempts basically one in seven that's awful with two touchdowns and six picks on balls traveling 30-plus air yards downfield. In 10 games this year, Brock Purdy is 5 of 9 with two touchdowns and no picks on throws 30-plus air yards downfield. I'm telling you, what we are seeing from Brock Purdy is elite-level stuff. If you don't want to call him elite, that's fine. What we're seeing on the field, what his stats indicate, what his play has shown us is elite level play um and we do have a comment here on the youtube chat by bobo uh not brock Purdy related but uh, it does say what is frustrating to me is kyle's overuse of cmc is mason or mitchell that terrible where they can't even close the game out um bobo continues here uh fourth and one late in the game mason can't get one yard to shut the door on the bucks i uh, will dive into that a little bit later but i'll hit on it here bobo I would agree with you. Um, and it's funny enough, uh, Kyle Shanahan kind of answered this question that Mitchell is this team's number two running back. We did see a drive in this game where there was a quote-unquote Elijah Mitchell drive. He had like five, four carries in a row, uh, and he was uh, being part of the offense for it felt like the first time in a while. Uh, I am a proponent of getting George, or Jordan Mason more carries. I would agree with you, Bobo. But thank you for chiming in here. Uh, but I don't know. I, I don't understand. Well, I'll rephrase that. I understand the question marks about CMC's usage. 
I thought they were more careful in regards to using him in this game than others in the past. But that being said, the CMC is one of the best short yardage backs in the entire league. I get wanting to use him to ice the game out, but a bigger bodied running back in Jordan Mason, you would expect a 230, 240 pound running back to get you at least one yard just falling forward. I don't know why that isn't Mason. It wouldn't be Mitchell. Um, I understand CMC and Mitchell are this team's best outside zone running backs, but you want to run some inside zone, you want to utilize the ground and pound game, whether it's third and two or third and one, uh, give me a bigger body player. I understand what you're saying, Bobo, but in this game, uh, in Kyle Shanahan's mind, I can see how he justifies not using Jordan Mason. Um, it's a complaint I've had or very small nitpick I've had of the offense, who again is putting up almost 30 points a game again. But yes, you are correct. Uh, and I also wouldn't be surprised, kind of like last year, where we, where we did see Jordan Mason close out the, the NFC West Championship game over the Seahawks uh, in Seattle Thursday in primetime last year. Uh, what, maybe there's a chance we see it this year again. I certainly wouldn't mind that, but I see your complaint. It's a gripe that many people have. Uh, it's a reason why Shanahan was asked about it this past week and kind of gave a snarky answer of, well, Jordan Mason's this team's third best running back. I would disagree, but I ain't calling the shots. So uh, I get your complaint, uh, but I do want to dive back into Brock Purdy here because Brock Purdy again. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. He had four incompletions. I can only think of two. One was a throw out of the back of the end zone to make sure or not force a pass, which in itself is a smart quarterback move that hadn't happened in San Francisco under the Jimmy G era very much. The other one was to George Kittle where the defender's all over his back. Other than that, I cannot think of two incompletions in this game uh, where I sat back and said, bad throw, that's a bad throw, can't make that. There were some against the Jaguars. There were a handful, obviously, against the Bucks or the Bengals and the Vikings, excuse me. But in this game, it felt as if Brock Purdy, again, was literally perfect. Um, there is no longer and really hasn't been for a while a concern of when he drops back, what's going to happen, where the, where the ball goes. Uh, and we've also seen that Shanahan also feels that way of, I have no concern about Brock Purdy at all. Where in this game, San Francisco opened up their first drive of the game, end around, Purdy to Kittle, uh, an incompletion to Debo, I guess there's one incompletion there, then Purdy evades pressure and finds CMC. Then Purdy sacked. They had one end around and four straight passes. Not a great first drive, but we are seeing then the second drive. You have a PA to Debo, so five straight plays with Purdy passing the football. Then you have a, a, the first run of the game, seven plays into San Francisco's offensive drives, right? So two, two drives, seven plays in, and that was the longest time it took to get to a Christian McCaffrey run this year. 
at the 9 minute and 58 second mark, that's the longest time it has taken, the latest into a game, CMC's had his first carry. What does that tell you? That, well, yes, the game plan, the scheme of trying to beat the Bucks was we're going to pass the ball against a zone defense, which makes a ton of sense, knowing how good you have it in Debo and Kittle and Ayuk and McCaffrey. But also, there is no longer this fear of come playoff time uh, when we're playing the Vikings or the Packers, whoever it is, that our quarterback's going to shrink and I can't trust him. And when you don't have that, when you don't have this hesitation or trepidation or just worry that we may not be able to trust our quarterback you are going to have so much more success come playoff time now we'll see san francisco play in seattle this thursday then in philadelphia in two sundays then we'll see them back home against seattle on sunday again a very tough stretch of the year can brought pretty continue that uh, but the odds of Purdy playing well against the Jaguars, the Bucks, which I can argue are much better defenses than the Seahawks, uh, the odds of him carrying it over are high. Like we are seeing Brock Purdy and really this team play their best stretch of football at almost the perfect time. Now, again, we'll see on Thursday how this works itself out, but um, this team is hitting their stretch at the perfect time. And I want to dive into a very well small thing here, the impact it's had on the offense. Again, sticking with Brock Purdy for a second. Um, for the second straight week, we have almost seen Brock Purdy make identical throws. Uh, against the Jaguars, it was the touchdown pass to George Kittle to open up the half, uh, where he is almost about to get taken down and, and the pocket is collapsing, steps up, makes the throw with pressure in his face, boom, touchdown Kittle, Almost the exact same kind of play in this game, albeit didn't result in a touchdown, but Brock Purdy makes a gigantic big-time throw, Vita Bay at his feet, and it's almost like Brock Purdy is just saying, I have to make this throw, there is no fear in me that I can't make it. Um, it's something that when you watch Brock Purdy, you just say, yeah, he's a gamer. Yeah, like what Brock Purdy does... Uh, you can tell there's a reason why this team buys into him. And my co-host on 95.7 The Game's Overtime, Mark Grandy, brought up a great point that um, this Niners team is reaching Jimmy G levels of love for Brock Purdy. And what he meant by that was, you know, the Niners roster, Juszczyk, Kittle, those guys, and many others really didn't buy into the idea of acquiring Trey Lance and drafting him and bringing him in, in, in here, knowing you had Jimmy G on the roster, who was one of the boys. Um, and that may have, I don't want to say, you know, frayed the locker room or split it, but there at least was some concern of like, what are we doing here? What's the plan here? Um, and they were so tied to Jimmy G as a player, as a teammate, as a, as a person, as a quarterback, they didn't buy into Lance. There was hesitation to buy into Lance. Um, that's not even a conversation now. Uh, well, because Lance and Grapple are gone, but because they bought in to Brock Purdy, this team will have no other quarterback play um, and start for them unless it is indeed Brock Purdy. Um, and I think getting a player like Kittle to buy in, last year we saw the impact that Purdy had on Kittle's whether it's fantasy points or his pass-catching performance, um, in 76 games prior to Brock Purdy, George Kittle had 24 touchdowns. Since Brock Purdy took over as starter in 16 games, 
George Kittle has 12 touchdowns. So George Kittle already has half the amount of touchdowns he had prior to Brock Purdy in 60 more games than he had then. Like, what Brock Purdy's doing is he's opening up the offense, he's utilizing his team's playmakers, and he's finally, and we already know this, he is opening up, unlocking Kyle Shanahan's playbook. Uh, it's almost as if San Francisco has their perfect quarterback, right? Of course you want the Mahomeses who have the gigantic arms that can evade pressure and do just incredible things where you're like, that was a Madden level throw. How'd he do that? Of course you would like a Jalen Hurts who can do certain things with his legs and makes the offense that much more dynamic. But what Brock Purdy's been able to do has been the best of both worlds. He's over the middle accurate. He does what Shanahan's offense is designed to do hand the ball off, work and play action, and again, be phenomenal, be accurate and decisive and on target over the middle, but he's also able to do what they wished Trey Lance was able to be, which is a deep threat with the football, again, of, of plays over 20 plus yards on passes, 20 plus air yards down the field, first in completion percentage, third in yards, second in air yards per attempt, Tied for ninth in touchdowns and 23% point three off target rate is the lowest in football. He is the most accurate deep ball thrower in the entire NFL. I'll repeat, not Mahomes, not Josh Allen, uh, not Joe Burrow who's hurt unfortunately, not, not Lamar Jackson. Brock Purdy is the most accurate deep ball thrower in the entire NFL. This team has finally reached its next level. We thought that through the first five weeks, they lost three games in a row. Ever since Brock Purdy went out to those magic cornfields in Iowa and found his groove again, and, you know, Stella got her groove back, Brock Purdy got his groove back, and he has been playing perfect football uh, since then. Moving down the pecking order here again, George Kittle, eight catches, 89 yards, uh, one touchdown. He was in his bag. Those back of the touchdown throws, uh, back of the end zone touchdown throws, feel like Kittle's bread and butter, where you're just like, man, like, he seems to always be open there, whether it's against the Raiders in this game, against the Bucks, or even in the playoff game against the Rams in 2021. Kittle always seems to be opened in the back of the end zone, whether he's double covered, triple covered, or uncovered, he always seems to be open back there and is, again, uh, Brock Purdy's favorite target comes to getting touchdowns. Uh, the other, which, honestly, Brandon Ayuk's season has kind of been this back and forth of, begins it with an amazing day in Pittsburgh, what, two touchdowns on the day, and he's just doing things, you're like, this guy is ready to get paid, he's on a mission, uh, and ready to take the league by storm, uh, and they're gonna have to pay him a pretty buck, and maybe even have to decide, you know, are they going to have to let somebody else leave to retain what is, or looks like to becoming one of the better one-two receiving uh, punches in football with Debo and Ayuk, Went through a lull there at the same time everybody else kind of did without Debo and Trent, which I do think hurt his stock somewhat. But uh, what Ayuk has done the past two weeks, especially in this game, I mean, he basically broke Jamel Dean's ankle on the deep ball. Now, I hope Dean's healthy. I hope he can get healthy, whatever it is. Like, this man basically broke a dude's ankles on a deep ball when he cut back over the middle. 
Like, what Ayuk can do. Coming into the game, I mentioned it. What and how great Ayuk is able to be utilized in and against zone coverages. His separation. The broadcaster Greg Olson said on, on Sunday that he's just now learning to run routes better. No, Brandon Ayuk has been doing this for a year and a half. Sure, more crisper. Sure, maybe his best year. What Brandon Ayuk is doing and has done over the last year or so is the best separator in football, and it's not even close. We are talking about someone who, whether it's Darius Slay against the Eagles, Trevon Diggs against the Cowboys, you can match him up against some of the best cornerbacks in football, and I can almost guarantee you he is going to be open. That's how explosive he is. That's how just the attention to detail on his route running is it's incredible. There really isn't m many other words to use to describe Ayuk's year other than incredible. In this game alone, five catches, 156 yards, obviously a massive 76-yard touchdown catch, one touchdown, and here's the kicker. 31.2 yards a catch. Now, obviously helped by 76 yards in one play, but it feels as if, well, yes, he's catching balls for an average of 31 yards. It feels like he constantly has five, six yards of separation. One of the big knocks on Brock Purdy has been, well, guys are always open. Yeah, because Brandon Ayuk is always open. He's always somehow, whether it's in a levels concept, on a post route, on a quick slant, he always is able to find space for Brock Purdy to get the ball to him. And it's almost as if Brandon Ayuk, well, yes, is a receiver. Well, yes, can get downfield, can do goal balls, can go deep and whatnot. Because he gets so open, he's almost like this team's or another security blanket because he's all you know he's always going to be there, always going to be open. And this team also has the best check down player in football in Christian McCaffrey. But it feels as if because Ayuk's always open downfield 10, 15 yards, that in a way, in a weird twisted way, he's kind of like a check down because he's always open. Like there isn't a fear of, oh, no one's going to be open downfield. It happened once against the Bucks in the first drive. After that, wasn't an issue. Brandon Ayuk, in a way, is almost like one of the best check down receivers in football. Not because he's sitting there five yards out or three yards out waiting for the ball with no one around him. Because he's beating his men over and over and over again by five, six yards, giving a Purdy so much space to work with uh, the past couple games for the entire offense we've seen them get everybody involved it feels like in this game Ayuk five catches Kittle eight catches Debo three catches McCaffrey five catches um it feels as if this offense is just rolling on all cylinders obviously a massive game against the Jaguars last week uh, and, and a big game against the Bucks this week I believe over the course of the past two weeks, again, Purdy has six touchdown passes. He's thrown two to Kittle, two to Ayuk, one to CMC, and one to Debo Samuel. So that's Juice, Kittle, Ayuk, uh, and, 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 and CMC. Of his six touchdowns, 
four of them have gone to separate receivers or players, and in this game, all three of the touchdowns gone to three different players. Like, the ball is being spread around the best it arguably ever has, and in this game, it was almost as if they didn't really need Debo Samuel's four touches for 63 yards, 62 yards, which in itself is a good Debo game, had a 40-yard catch in this game, and it's like, hey, save him for Seattle, right? You know, get other guys involved, and it feels like that they're getting everybody involved. Um, and to kind of send that point home even further, let's go over the paces for some Niners skill players, courtesy of Nick Wagner of ESPN. Christian McCaffrey this year is on pace for 2,021 scrimmage yards and a whopping 24 touchdowns. Brandon Ayuk on pace for 1,477 receiving yards and seven touchdowns. George Kittle, uh, 1,102 receiving yards and nine touchdowns. And Debo Samuel, 972 scrimmage yards and five touchdowns. If I can do some quick math here, you do Kittle and Debo's 14 touchdowns. McCaffrey's 24 touchdowns. That's what. That's 38 touchdowns plus Ayuk's seven. What is that? 45 touchdowns in four players. That's incredible. That's almost averaging 11 per player. Now, again, it's not how it works in football, but that shows you how much firepower this offense has. And we knew it on paper. We are finally seeing that come to fruition in weeks 10 and 11 of the NFL season. Um, again, Ayuk was great in this game. Uh, I do think that uh, just offensively, it felt as if all cylinders were being hit. Um, Ayuk was blocking on a handful of plays. Purdy was scrambling and doing his thing again, diving for first downs. Um, it felt like whenever they needed a massive or a big th third down play, Purdy and Ayuk hooked up in this game alone for San Francisco. Again, it felt like Ayuk and Purdy were just two players molded as one. Kind of like how Shanahan and Purdy feel like a head coach and quarterback molded as one because they were on the exact same page over and over and over again. Um, and again, the Niners in this game winning 27-14 to on third downs while in a weird way, only 4 for 10 compared to the Bucks 7 for 14 and we'll get to the defense in a second here. Um... The 4 for 10 feels very much skewed by the late game, just give it to CMC, hope you ice it out. Because this offense early was sustaining drives. Again, they had 420 yards total. We're averaging 7.1 yards per play, 10.5 yards per pass on the ground, 115 yards again in the red zone. They were 50%, 2 for 4. Uh, they were just doing the darn thing at every single level. Had 14 passing first downs, only 7 rushing first downs. Uh, again, this passing offense has taken what was already a B-plus passing offense. They're now at the A-plus. They're now at the A. They have reached that next level of performance, and it's led by Brock Purdy and uh, Brandon Ayuk just being awesome. Uh, again, there really isn't much to say about the offense because they literally were perfect. And I was telling, again, my, my co-host, Mark Grandy, on 95.7 The Game, like, is this how, like, the Chiefs feel when Mahomes is doing his thing and you're like, what do we say other than 
he is Patrick Mahomes. At what point, and I get it's early, there's a long way to go in the year. At what point do we just say, yeah, that's Brock Purdy? Like, how much can you just say Purdy was literally perfect and just go leave it at that? Because that's what he was in this game. He had a perfect passer rating overall and a perfect passer rating to George Kittle. He was almost perfect downfield in this game. And again, the most accurate deep ball thrower in the entire NFL. Had someone told you Brock Purdy was going to be that guy, uh, we'd all say, there's no way. Um, amongst myself and others, go back last year. When San Francisco cut Nate Sudfeld, after they gave him guaranteed money to keep Brock Purdy, we all said, what are we doing? Like, that's weird. Yeah, backup quarterback, whatever. Well, everyone kind of said like, hmm, like that's an odd choice to give someone guaranteed money and then cut him for Brock Purdy. That should have been the first sign of this kid has something else. And now obviously almost now or a little over a full year into his tenure, it's so obvious this kid, Brock Purdy, has so much more to offer. And again, because he's so young, maybe there are other levels to go. And if this is it, if this is the highest Purdy ever goes when it comes to performance on the field, well, it's literally perfect. <laughs> like, I'm cool with that. If you're not cool with that, I don't know what crack or drug you are smoking, because if you're not cool with that, you need to get yourself checked out because if you're not good with perfect, if you're criticizing literally perfect, then you, the standards for quarterback play for you are unattainable because Brock Purdy was literally perfect in this game. Let's go to the defensive side of things for a second here, because I do think when you look at the, the game as a whole, um, there may have been more cause for concern uh, on defense rather than offense. I thought the O-line for San Francisco held up pretty well in this game. Only three sacks given up, um, and a couple of those weren't really the offensive line's fault. Uh, Purdy scrambled or tried to scramble one time, then got sacked. That's not the offensive line's fault. Um, I do think that uh, the defense, though, was, if they're going to complain about anything, which hard to do, um, would be the defense. The biggest one, the biggest, you know, blemish on this win being Talanoa Hufunga's loss or his torn ACL suffered, which was confirmed this morning. Um, it just sucks to see a young player coming off an all-pro season, a Pro Bowl season, not having a great year this year, but you can tell things are starting to pick itself up. The strides are starting to be reached and you know, we're starting to see him, you know, pick his game up again as to, as to who he was last year. And all of a sudden it's gone in a flash. Um, you could tell on the play that the knee didn't look pretty. You could tell something snapped in there. Uh, thankfully though, despite, uh, what is again, going to be a season ending torn ACL in his right knee. It's only an ACL. There's no MCL. There's no, uh, there's no other ligament damage, tendon damage outside of the ACL. And he is expected to be back by 2024 by week, which again, it's a massive loss. Um, when you lose a player like Talanoa Hufunga, which it seems like from the moment he stepped on the field, on the special teams unit, his rookie season, he was making plays. I'm sure, you know, I look back and I think of it often. I'm sure you do as well. Jordan Willis and him combined for the block punt touchdown against the Packers. 
Like, he was making plays when he wasn't even a starting caliber player just yet, and when you move off of Jaquiski Tart, who was pretty good safety here in San Francisco for almost a decade, um... Those are some, I don't want to say big shoes, but there are some shoes to fill there, and he took those with flying colors and just ran away with them last year and was great. Um, when you lose a player like Hufunga on the back end, a playmaking uh, starting safety, uh, seven career interceptions in his, in his again, entire career, had three of them this year, had one against the Jaguars last week, um, two career forced fumbles, seven career tackle for losses, two career sacks, Averaging nearly 75 tackles a year since named starter. Um, you're asking now, you're George Odoms, you're now Jair Browns out of Penn State, rookie this year, third round, to fill massive, game-changing, playmaking shoes. Um, it's not going to be easy. I don't know exactly what this defense is going to do, if they're going to mix and match. Um, could we see Isaiah Oliver move to safety, a slower cornerback, lengthier when it comes to arms, uh, maybe giving him more time to see the field, uh, any better tackler than most? Um, maybe that's an option, but I do think what we've seen in a very, very, very small sample size in this game alone, I would assume Jair Brown is going to be this team's starting free safety going forward, and then Deshaun Gibson moves to strong safety, I do think it's not going to be that cut and dry. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we do see some free safety sets or we do see Odom and Jair Brown mix in depending on the situation. But even Kyle Shanahan talked about that Jair Brown, um, the way he was practicing in recent weeks, it was as if, and I quote here, he was preparing for this. He was. He felt like this was coming. Um, not the injury, but his moment to shine was coming. Um, and we saw him in this game, uh, while the first play he was targeted for a 41-yard catch, not pretty, um, when his back was against the wall, when you get a, a, a massive red zone pass deflection against Mike Evans, um, when you are trusted with Steve Wilkes in this game at one point on the arguably biggest play the defense had late in this game, Mooney Ward it's the win knocked out of him. Your starting cornerbacks on the field are Ambry Thomas, who's played much better as of recent. Diamador Lenore, who is now your starting nickel cornerback, moved back outside in this game. Isaiah Oliver comes on the field to be the team's nickel cornerback for one game. Then you have Jair Brown and Deshaun Gibson. You essentially have three at rather unproven or just struggling at the time or moment cornerbacks on the field. You're just like, we hope this thing works out. What does Steve Wilkes do? He was hammered by myself and others for blitzing at the wrong time against the Vikings. Zero blitz. Jordan Addison, massive touchdown before halftime. We all criticized him for it. May have been uh, the main reason he moved from the booth to the sideline in this game. Steve Wilkes, with Mooney Ward off the field, after Hufunga tears his ACL with Jair Brown unproven, already been burnt once in this game, free safety, lined up against Mike Evans, one of the best and probably future Hall of Fame receivers in the game today. Lenore moved back outside. Uh, Ambry Thomas on the field still. And Isaiah Oliver, who had been benched coming out of the bye week, now on the field again. If there was a moment to not blitz, a moment to be worried and scared, it was that one 
What does Steve Wilkes do? He blitzes Oliver. He gets to Mayfield early, causes pressure, forces Mayfield to make a, a, a rushed pass to Evans. Jair Brown gets the pick on the play. We're talking about, well, to be fair, it hit Greenlaw's helmet, but massive, massive play for this defense. Steve Wilkes dialing up the blitz at the right time. Jair Brown being trusted to make a play, and what does he do? Makes the biggest one of the game. Um, the offense, I think, late in this game didn't really help the defense. Um, it felt as if when there was time to ice the game and there was time to put this one away, they kind of just were like, yeah, we'll, we'll try. Um, and it felt as if our defense was backed up against the red zone for three, four straight drives within a six-minute span. Um, you have a massive stop, they get the pick, then a 49-yard punt return, and you're like, okay, they're back at the 15 again, and the defense holds up one more time. Uh, again, Jair Brown, massive pass deflection again. Um, funny enough, he plays the final, what, like eight minutes of the game, maybe, maybe the end of the third quarter, going into the fourth quarter, he led this team in pass deflections, Dyer Brown did. Um, just an impressive day from a young player that hasn't got much playing time. Um, and when you see him in college, you know that he has playmaking ability. The hope was that whether it was late this year or next year, you'd have a Hufunga Jair Brown safety tandem. And while that's still in the cards, hopefully. Jair Brown has to step up, and for at least one game, um, he got burnt once, but of three of the four plays he was involved in, uh, he was great. Now, sure, there are some plays you can point to and say, okay, you know, where was he here, where was he there? But when he was targeted, when he was around the ball, Jair Brown stepped up and filled those Talanoa Hufunga shoes. Uh, Jair Brown out of Penn State had a knack for getting interceptions in his, I would say, first extended play uh, of his first NFL season, his rookie year. Uh, he already has a knack for getting takeaways and making plays on defense. I don't want to forget to mention Fred Warner here. Fred Warner was just, what do you have, 12 tackles in this game, had a forced fumble, had an interception. Uh, Fred Warner was great in this game again um he just the last couple weeks he has turned things up another notch as has the rest of the defense um or no pick in this game force fumble a massive play him and bosa combined for the force fumble uh and again get a massive takeaway for this team where the bucks were indeed marching downfield they were doing the whole screen pass game which was working again which is a massive issue i think for this defense especially against uh, a quick game offense like seattle like the eagles who you know they have Devonte smith deandre swift and aj brown this is a massive issue that they have to clean up thankfully like i hoped for and predicted this defense went from seven missed tackles against the Jaguars over 30 the past three weeks prior to the Jaguars game to just four. I was hoping five. They just missed four. If teams are going to screen and dink and dunk you, you have to tackle. This team did that. But back to Fred Warner. Fred Warner 
in this game for the Niners. 12 total tackles, uh, two pass deflections, a half a sack, and on the year, Fred Warner now has three interceptions and three forced fumbles. He's on pace for a career high in tackles, tackles for loss, forced fumbles, passes defended, sacks, and interceptions. All pro Fred is playing at an all pro high. Um, sure, there were certain games this year you point to and say, Fred's not looking like Fred uh, the past few weeks, and I think the stats would show this by a wide margin. He's looked like all pro Fred and above. He has taken his game when this team needed the defense the most against the Jaguars and against the Bucks. This defense, which he even said this, they hadn't really had a grinded out type of win. They've been beating teams by 20 plus, uh, Cowboys 32 plus, a uh, 31 plus against the Jaguars in this game, 13 points. Um, they had said that their mental toughness was being tested and they hadn't had that grinded out, this kind of grimy style of win. Well, yes, you win by two scores um, or, or, or almost three scores, really. Um, you, this was that grinded out back against the wall. Things are getting tight and close late. Uh, this game could look a lot different uh, if the Buccaneers score in the red zone with six minutes left and it's a one-score game. The offense punts. Maybe things are called differently, but still, um, this defense, I think, needed this kind of win. The offense kind of needed this kind of win where it was like, yeah, really successful, but this game is closer than I think the box score would indicate, the stats would indicate, but I do think it's going to help this team in the long run. You hate losing Hufunga, uh, you hate um, to be in that situation, but now you know, hey, we can still do this. We can boat race teams, and we can grind these kind of wins out. Almost had it against Cleveland, almost had it against the Vikings. You get it here against the Buccaneers, but all pro Fred, this an amazing year so far. Past two weeks have been incredible. Getting takeaways, forcing fumbles. Again, career high in tackles, TFLs, forced fumbles, passes defended, sacks, and INTs. Um, I want to hit on Ambry Thomas in this game. He was asked to come off the bench after the bye week, and he has been great. Against Mike Evans, the Chris Godwins, Chris Godwin didn't catch a ball until the second half in this game. Chris Godwin, one of the better number two receivers, could be a handful of teams' number ones, didn't catch a ball until the 13-minute mark in the third quarter. That's kudos to Lenore, Mooney Ward, Amber Thomas. The secondary has stepped up its game. Lenore, same thing. Uh, Mooney Ward had an interesting stretch where... He was targeted a handful of times on quick outs and comebacks late in the game. They had that soft zone again. The Bucks were playing into that and kind of eating it up. Uh, then things tightened up again, and the defense made plays. I'm not worried about him. The secondary has come to play the past two weeks, but what has certainly helped this team is the defensive line led, and I mean this, led by Eric Armstead. Uh, while Nick Bosa had a really good game for the Niners in this one, what Nick Bosa had three tackles, had one sack, had three quarterback hits. Uh, Javon Hargrave, again, another good game, four tackles, uh, two solo tackles, had a handful of pressures. Chase Young 
had five pressures in this game. Uh, it was getting to the quarterback a handful of times. Um, got to the quarterback on one of the biggest plays. Had a sack himself and a big tackle for loss. Um, the the guys you expect to get there are getting it done again. Hargrave, Bosa, Armstead, or Hargrave, Bosa, and Chase Young. But Eric Armstead, he is almost leading the darn thing. Eric Armstead had 12 pressures against the Bucks on Sunday. Maybe the best game, or certainly the best game of his season so far, maybe one of the best games of his career. 12 pressures, a career high. Two quarterback hits, one sack, a tackle for loss, and an 83.6 PFF grade. Eric Armstead yesterday was maybe outside of Fred Warner, the best defensive player on the field. I'm not kidding. Eric Armstead, the past month, has really shown to be worth the money. I get you lose against the Bengals big, you just get outplayed. That's fine. The last three games, the Bucks, the Jaguars, and the Bengals, Eric Armstead has 17 total pressures, three and a half sacks, five quarterback hits, and three tackles for losses. Average five pressures over one sack a game, over one quarterback hit per game in one tackle. Plow earning that paycheck, and it's helping the defensive line around him, whether it's Hargrave or Bosa or, or, or Chase Young. Even Javon Kinlaw was good in this game against the run, making a handful of plays. It feels as if uh, this defensive line, again, while they found themselves against the Jaguars, like I said, coming into this week, if that was your get-right game, this was going to be your stay-right game. And folks, they stayed right. Nick Bosa had nine pressures, had a sack himself, and they were getting to Baker Mayfield all day long. 38 total pressures combined on Baker Mayfield, a, a season high for this Niners defense, which made sense. Uh, the the line for this game was 13 and a half. Didn't hit that, easily could have, didn't hit that, but this defense, they showed why it was 13 and a half. The offense did as well, but the defense, it felt like Baker Mayfield was under pressure almost every single drop back. And to be honest with you here, Baker Mayfield had 45 attempts through the air. He was sacked four times. So, 49 total attempts, right? In, 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 including sacks, okay? Pressured 38 times. <laughs> That's incredible. Only 10 plays of him passing the football or trying to pass the ball resulted in not a pressure. And it was probably the five screen passes they ran in a row and a handful down the stretch. Like, this defense was getting to the quarterback all day long. Uh, you felt as if Baker Mayfield could have had like seven picks in this game. Greenlaw dropped one. Uh, Greenlaw had one hit his helmet because he was trying to kill the, the receiver coming out of his break instead of looking for the ball. There were Gibson dropped one in the end zone. There was a handful of plays in this game that SF could have had four or five takeaways uh, and Baker lucked out, but it felt like his quote-unquote turnover-worthy plays were like 10 there were so many plays in this game where you said, wow, uh, that could have been another Niner takeaway. This defense is playing great. Um, I don't know how much of that is Steve Wilkes being on the sideline. I would assume not too much, but um, you hear 
The players discuss how important he's been to the growth and the change and the spark the defense have had. And again, uh, you just needed players to make plays and it felt like everybody on offense made plays and everybody on defense made plays. Cleveland Farrell's making plays. What, two fumble recoveries the past two games? I mean, come on. <laughs> they they got the scoop and score guy ready to go, right? Like, even Clown Farrell's making plays. Um, D. Winters almost got flagged for a massive hit in this game, but you're like, I want to see these guys make plays, and San Francisco's defense was making plays. Led to a 27-14 victory over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 7-3, on the year and there really isn't much more to say this team is riding high coming in uh, to a short week where Purdy's playing perfect your defense is playing great getting takeaways Bosa being relentless to get Baker Mayfield you can tell he just loves playing against him he hates him and he even said that Baker Mayfield was and I quote bitching <laughs> at the refs and, ba and Bosa goes to and say there's no horse collar in the pocket man deal with it you can tell this defense has found its groove back. They're out there shrugging. They're making boxes and kicking them down. They're getting picks off. They're doing their thing. And they're riding high, playing their best football at the right time. I believe the record is now 10-2 in November games for Kyle Shanahan in 2019, 2021, and 2022, and this year. Uh, massive games coming up against the Seahawks in Seattle on Thursday on Thanksgiving. Then you have Philadelphia. Then you have Seattle again. If you can at least beat Seattle twice, you are basically clinching the division. But who wouldn't love to see the Philadelphia Eagles lose tonight against the Chiefs? We beat them in two weeks in Philadelphia, inching closer to the number one seed. The hope is not dead yet, folks. We're almost there. Just got to keep taking care of business and keeping things straightforward in our own head. Uh, Jake Moody was good in this game. Uh, two for two on field goals, doing his thing. Uh, it felt as if it was going to come down to him, thankfully. But I'll tell you now, um, every single time you felt as if the game might get carried away or you felt as if the defense might give up a touchdown, things tightened up. The screws were tightened, and this defense and offense came to play. Um, short week again, Seattle on Thursday on Thanksgiving. Uh, massive game. I'll be friggin' just grubbed out, stomach full of turkey and whatnot. Hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, stay tuned later this week, probably on Wednesday, uh, for the preview podcast of that game on Thursday, a massive chance for San Francisco to take a two-game lead over the Seahawks in the NFC West standings, and hopefully we're talking about uh, maybe a, a little one-seat action in a few weeks. Want to remind you to leave a like, share, and subscribe. It's a free, easy way to help the show. If you're listening on Apple Podcast or Spotify, uh, if you could give us five stars and say whatever you want in the comments, I could care less. The five stars is what we care about. Tell me your prediction for this Thursday. Heck, tell me how you feel about this win down below. What do you think of Purdy? How they schemed against Baker Mayfield? Uh, and really, what do you think and how they're going to move forward without Tao and Noah Hufunga? A massive loss for this defense. If you want to go to a game 
this year. Use our promo code 49ersaccess, 49ersacces at seatgeek.com and save yourself $20 off your first purchase. Uh, follow us on social media at 49ers underscore access is the Twitter or X uh, and 49ers.access is the Instagram for all the updates, the hot takes, my quick takeaways, my quick opinions on Niner related things. Those are the place to follow me. Want to shout out Randy Daytona in the comments before we go about leave the podcast for the day. Randy says, Purdy is elite, Brown will shine. Purdy is definitely elite, Randy, and we'll see about Jair Brown hoping good things from the first year safety. With all that being said, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. My name is Sterling Bennett saying until next time, happy Thanksgiving. And as always, you have to stay faithful.